You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikenna Okeke of the Father's Church. This message will challenge, encourage, and propel you to fulfill your purpose and live that life that God originally designed for you as revealed in His Word. Be blessed as you listen. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. How many of us know that in the calendar of the church, today is the triumphal Sunday? Okay, so this day marks the beginning of the Passion Week or the week of the Passion. If there is anything called, um, you know, the season where we renew our faith, this period should mark the season of the renewal of our faith. Because this is the most significant, the time of the most significant events concerning our faith. The time our Lord Jesus rode on a colt down into Jerusalem. And from there it led to, you know, the events of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the betrayal, the Gethsemane, the beatings and, you know, the crucifixion and onto Sunday, which is our Easter Sunday. How many are glad that Sunday is coming? Praise the Lord. So this coming Sunday is Easter. We're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And we trust that there will be manifestations in your life and in our lives in the name of Jesus. So this Sunday, we want to look at Mark chapter 11. And see how much we can take from there and um, trust that the Holy Spirit will just touch us in diverse ways in the name of Jesus. Mark 11, if you have a Bible that has a sub-theme, it will say the triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry is taken from the uh, Roman tradition. In, In Rome, in the ancient Rome then, at this time when this happened, when an army general had gone to battle and won such victory, tremendous victory. It's recorded that he needed to have killed at least 5,000 enemy soldiers and taken territories for the Roman emperor. If he achieved such a feat, then on his return, they will organize such a ceremony for him. That's how come the name Triumphal Entry. And when he came in, he rode on, on a chariot with horses, you know, dressed in, you know, beautiful, magnificent robe. And there'll be people singing his praises, shouting, you know, and then he'll be leading his captives along. Okay. And as he comes into the city, people are, you know, taking off their clothes. Just everything that, you know, we see imagine there. The only difference is that when our Lord Jesus Christ made his own triumphal entry, he rode on a mule. You see, in the diplomatic language of that time, if a king rode on a horse, it implied dominion. It implied sometimes war, but it implied, you know, demonstration of strength. But when a king rode on a donkey or a mule, it implied humility, implied he was coming in peace. So in this situation, we see that our Lord Jesus, even though it's called triumphal entry, first of all, had not killed any 5,000. But what we have is that in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, if you can put that on the screen, he was about to save 5,000 men. Praise the Lord. Because he is a different kind of king. Hallelujah. Everything the Gentiles do, our king does his own completely what? Differently. Praise God. So he did not ride in after killing 5,000. No, he was riding in because he was going to become the savior of all men. Praise Jesus. And he rode on a mule, okay? And the generals owned everything that they took along. But this king borrowed even the mule that he was going to ride on. Because after that moment, did you hear him riding on the mule again? Because his kingdom is not of this world. Praise the Lord. Okay, so let's read Mark 11. We'll read from verse 1. We might do a bit of reading. It's all right. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany, At the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a cold tide on which no one has sat. Lose it and bring it. 
And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he'll send it here. So they went away and found the coat tied by the door outside on the street. And they lost it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing losing the coat? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's read 15. 15 says, So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up, from the roots, he had caused the fig tree earlier on. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For shortly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. We'll stop here. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. So we have an account here of, you know, the beginning of Jesus' passion. And you can almost see immediately what happened. This was the first time our Lord Jesus was actually allowing such praise to come to him. You remember before when he had done anything, he would say to them, keep quiet, don't tell anybody. So if you read the other accounts, you see that what preceded this journey was the dinner after he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So that provoked a lot of reaction from several places. Their attention was drawn on him. And he also knowing that the time had come because he had to be crucified as the Passover lamb. So that was the time. However, and um, in, you know, interestingly, his enemies did not want him crucified at the Passover, the feast, because they were afraid that the crowd will rise up against them. Praise God. So, but he, this had to happen so that they'll be provoked beyond measure. As we read on, on the story, you're going to find where the Bible says the chief priests were indignant and saying to him, tell these people to keep quiet. Because as you praise God, that's why praise is so powerful. Praise is a weapon. When you praise God and praise God and praise God genuinely, somehow, I don't know how it works, the enemy is suffering some pain. I don't know how it works like that. But if you've ever been jealous, I think you may understand it. Because if you're jealous of somebody and they're praising the person you're jealous of, that praise that they're praising the person comes to you like pepper. Am I right? I think that's where they get the word pepper them. Eh? Hallelujah. So can we just put our hands together and celebrate our king? When we praise God, something happens to the other side. Hallelujah. When the saints praise him. Amen. Thank you very much. Better still when we praise him in pain. You see, when the devil is expecting us to curse God, 
he said to Job, curse God and die. If we curse God and die, we fall into the devil's temptation. But if we murmur and complain and don't do anything, it becomes average response. Praise the Lord. But when in such situations you lift up a voice of praise, what you do is that you confound the enemy. You scatter his plans. Praise the Lord. You scramble his information. So that is what we learn as children of God. Amen. Okay, so we'll go back to our text and take it one after the other. The first thing I want us to pick from our text here from verse 1 to 3 is that when Jesus was going to set on this journey, he said something to them. Verse 3 said, he said to two of his disciples, go into the village opposite you. As soon as you have entered, you'll find a cold tide on which no one has sat. Praise the Lord. You see, as we read the Bible, it's to open our eyes to know our God. What we read here is a demonstration of omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence all in one. You know why? Because if at the time, assuming, because what I wrote here is God's omniscience. But as I'm just standing here, the Lord is saying it's beyond that. Because I could have left my house and left a cold tie there. Am I right? Left a cold tie there. Upon which no man has sat. If I come to church now and say to you, please go to my house. And you're going to see a cold tied in front of my house, okay, on which no man has sat. You know, I could be telling something that is not true. Because in between the time I left my house and came here, somebody, so it's not just that you see the cold, but that no man has sat on it means that I am so current in time. And I'm so able in ability that even if someone had wanted to sit on it, for my word not to fall to the ground, the person would be unable to. Can somebody honor and just marvel at the omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience of God? That is the God we serve. He said to them, you will see. Remember, the village is opposite, so he couldn't even see. Hallelujah. He couldn't see the village, neither could he see the cold tide then he could so accurately tell the situation. Praise the Lord. It goes further. It gets more interesting. He said, lose it and bring it. This is the part I like most. And verse 3 says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You should say to the person, what? The Lord has need of it and immediately he'll send it here. You know, most times when I read that, my immediate thinking is that nobody will ask them. But you see, the Bible said, when they went, they found the coat tied, and they loosed it. Verse 5 says, but some of those who stood there came to them and said, what, what are you doing losing the coat? And then they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so let them, they let them go. Brethren, what we see in this account is, you and I have no reason not to have faith in God. You see, every obstacle you're going to meet on the way, he's anticipated it. Praise the Lord. And those obstacles, most times, they come to confirm the word that was spoken to you. Because you see, reading this account now, if these people did not ask them, that part of the story, that part of the message will seem useless. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. If he said to them, verse 2 said, go into the village opposite you. As soon as you have entered, you find a cold tide on which no one has. I said, lose it and bring it. He could have stopped this assignment here. But verse 3, he said to them, someone may say to you, why are you doing this? Say to the person this, the Lord has need of it. And this is what the person will do. Now, if they went on this journey and didn't experience this, we will have a question mark on that instruction. But they went and loosened it. And as they were about to go, somebody said, what are you doing? Now, what that says to you and I is this resistance should not take you by surprise because God has sent you on an errand because God has sent a word to you because God has made a promise to you it does not mean that there'll be nothing coming against you see it's this lack of um, or incomplete knowledge of the ways of God that creates problems for us you remember when God commissioned Moses and sent him to Pharaoh did he tell Moses that he'll harden Pharaoh's heart? He did. So, you see, we are discouraged because we didn't read the full. We didn't get the full understanding. 
he told Moses, he said, but Pharaoh will not. But I will show my might. Praise God. So I'm serving the Lord. I'm working with the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord. And, you know, I see obstacles. My immediate response shouldn't be, uh, this thing will not work because there's an obstacle. Or God has healed you and then you're feeling something different from what looks like a healing. Or whatever it is. What you should do is go back and find out when he sent me. When he spoke to me, did he make it clear to me that there will be obstacles? And if he did, then it means he's made a provision for it. How many of us have bought equipment and at the back of the manual, I know Nigerians don't read manual, there's what they call troubleshooting. Is it there? Now, when you go to the troubleshooting area, what you see there, be assured you will see it in that product. But if you don't read it and read through it, when you see it, you think that a major problem has occurred. But sometimes you see how simple it is to solve some of those problems. So tell somebody, or better still, tell yourself, get to know God better. Hallelujah. So they spoke to the people, and this man immediately allowed them, and they went. Okay? Verse 7 says, then they brought the call to Jesus, and he, they threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cowed down. We read this, Zechariah 9, 9. This is prophecy being fulfilled. Zechariah 9, 9, please kindly put it for us on the screen. It was prophesied, and it just had to happen. Praise the Lord. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? He said, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. So this was a prophecy that had gone many years before. And it had to come to fulfillment. Now, everything our Lord Jesus Christ did in the New Testament had its prophecy foretold in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. Now, what the lesson for me also here is this. Everything my Lord Jesus prophesied or said in the New Testament will have his word fulfillment when? In my life, in my generation. Praise the Lord. So, all his word, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not what? A jot, no a title of my word, what? will pass unfulfilled. So God's word will surely come to fulfillment in the name of Jesus. You see, some of them we may not like, as we're going to find out as we continue reading here. Some of them we may not want it, but as long as it's God's word, because, uh, uh, praise God, I'm preempting myself, but it's okay. The Bible says God has exalted his word above what? All his names. It's a way of helping us to understand what is going on. But you can understand it this way. The Bible says, John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... Now, if the Word is God, and the Word was with God, then how can you separate God and His Word? Is it possible? It's not possible. You can't take away God and His Word. God is his word. His word is God. Okay? So, uh, we're going to get where, where we're stopping to today by the mercy of God is where he says, have faith in God. And when we get there, we're going to see that this is the limitation that you and I have in living this life of faith. Because we, in situations, we set God on one side and we set his word on one side. And when we say his word, we mean his will. We mean his ways. We mean the things which are written. Praise the Lord, somebody. We're going to get there. Anyway, so... Verse 15. So verse 15 says, So then they came to, to Jerusalem, and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. Now, what is happening here is this. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. You can say in today's language, Jesus was trending. Praise the Lord. He was trending everywhere, everybody, everywhere. They were saying, this is him, this is him. You know, Hosanna, the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Everywhere, he was trending. In fact, he was trending. We had mentioned um, 
Luke 19, 39 and 40, where um, the Pharisees had said to him, what is going on? Ask these people to keep quiet. Rebuke your disciples. What did he answer? He said to them, I tell you that if we should keep silent, what is going to happen? The stones are going to immediately, I like that word there, immediately cry out. Why? Because prophecy has to be fulfilled. Praise the Lord. The lesson we are, you and I learned from here is this, is that for prophecy to be fulfilled, it's my privilege to be a part of it. Hallelujah. It's not a coronation. It's not an inheritance. The word has already gone forth. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord does what? It runs to and fro, searching for what? The man whose heart, one whose heart is what? Loyal, that he might show himself strong. So when prophecy goes forth, the word of God is hanging over. And all he's looking for is that one who will say, I agree. For the Bible says, can two walk together, what? Unless they be agreed. That's what prophecy. So when you hear prophecy, what it should cause you to do is to submit yourself to be a willing partner. In the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. So, verse 15. Jesus was trending. How does he now begin to carry out an act that could never increase his popularity? The Bible says he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. Mind you, this was a major thing that was done here. Overturn the tables of the money changers, the seats of those who sold doves. You know, he would not allow anyone to carry out wares. Why? Because Jesus was constrained to do the Father's will. You know how it is, how the environment can be so unsuitable to truth. Any person ever been in that situation? You know, where just doing what you know you should do just doesn't fit this moment. And you swallow it because of the environment, because of the time, because of the season. Jesus wouldn't do that. Why? Remember he said, it's what I see the Father do that I do. Why do I do that? Because I don't want him to leave me. Praise the Lord. So we see here that in spite of the popularity and the moment, the feelings of the moment, our Lord Jesus was constrained to do what had to be done. Why? Because it was written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But what was happening there wasn't prayer for all nations. And we're going to come a bit to that issue of prayer. Okay, but let's first deal with what he said. He said, but you have made it a den of thieves. And I want to ask someone here, and maybe just for your thinking, what were they stealing? He said, they made it a den of thieves. What were they guilty of stealing? They weren't stealing doves. They were selling doves. They weren't stealing money. They were exchanging money. Praise the Lord. They weren't stealing. They were selling sacrificial you know, animals. And whatever they were doing, they were providing some service. To those who are coming to worship in the temple. So why thieves? What were they guilty of stealing? Anybody thought about that? I don't know the perfect answer. But immediately what came to my mind is that these people were stealing the focus, the attention that should have been to God. You see, when you come to God's house, you have to be careful. And for me as a pastor, okay, and for those of us as leaders in the house of God, we have to be careful that attention that is due God. Okay, you know the song says, all glory must be to the Lord. Okay, it says no man must give the glory to himself. Okay, we have to be careful of any activity that would divert attention. Because remember, the Lord wants us. He says, my glory, our word, share with no one. He didn't talk about that in any other consideration. It's only his glory. That he said, I will not share. My praise, I will not word. So, we have to be careful. Whenever it concerns the house of God, that when people step into God's house, they must be directed to the God of the house. Praise the Lord, somebody. Not some occupant, not some tenant, not some visitor. As God has shown us by our frailty, he says the glory of a man is like that of a flower. In the morning, it blossoms, but by evening, what happens? It withers away. So we are careful. And another thing we see here is that these people... We're not encouraging the focus. The, uh, the alternative he said was this should be a house of prayer. What is it that prayer is? Prayer is a communication. It's our communication with our maker. You see, when a Christian, you know, everyone who has spoken to us in the recent time has emphasized prayer from our dad, you know, to the uh, Flames of Fire conference. Prayer, 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 prayer. And I don't know. 
if you and I really understand why there's so much emphasis on prayer. The truth is this, the same way as a doctor, you can go to a doctor and the doctor will take time and encourage you to breathe. How many have been encouraged to breathe? They told you to breathe. You are not breathing. Do you understand? The doctor won't encourage you to breathe. You know why? You have to. Do you understand? Now, if you and I understand spiritual realities, you understand you have to pray. Now, I breathe. I take in oxygen, okay? Because I know that I need it to stand. Are you with me? I need it to be alive. If I don't take in oxygen, maybe if I hold my breath, some of us, you know, in choir that are taught to hold their breath, in the military that are taught to hold their breath, when I learned swimming, I think I also was taught to hold my breath. Now, if you hold your breath, for some persons, I think some persons can do up to five minutes. I think there's a particular tribe that I understand, some Japanese tribe, fishermen tribe that dive deep without um, equipment that do up to 10 minutes. Okay? If you hold your breath and don't breathe, after a while, what will happen? You choke, you die. As simple as that. Now, the same way for your biological survival, you need to breathe. If you're a spiritual being, the sustenance for your spirit does not come from this table. It does not come from rice. It does not come from this building. The sustenance for your spirit comes from where? From prayer. Prayer is the breathing of the spiritual man. Our Lord Jesus Christ didn't say, I advise men to pray. He said, men what? Ought always. And he used a parable to emphasize it. Now, somebody might be scared and be saying, I don't know how to pray. No, you don't need to know how to pray. You just need to know you need to pray. The greatest, you know, help for you praying is knowing how you need to pray. You know you need to pray. So if you can get yourself in the place where you're just saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. And if you need God today, then you know you needed him yesterday. So he did something. So you can start by saying, God, I thank you that I made it this morning. Am I right? God, I thank you that I made it through last year. God, I thank you that I traveled and came back. God, I thank you. You see, the spiritual person does not exist solely here. You are partly here, but your sustenance. That's why when our Lord Jesus Christ taught us the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father, which are where? Now we are all my child, some of us are fathers, but as children, who did our sustenance come from? Our Father. So when he says, Our Father, which are in heaven, he's saying, Remember, your resource comes from heaven. Praise the Lord. So when he says this is a house of prayer, he was saying this is a place where men are supposed to come and make contact with heaven. This is where men, where men are supposed to come and make contact with their maker. This is where men are, are supposed to come, people are supposed to come and draw resources, draw strength, draw illumination, draw interpretation. Remember the case of the King David in the psalm where he says that he was discouraged. He didn't understand what was going on. You see, when you pray, you get the right perspective on situations. In fact, let me give you an advice for somebody here. How many of us here have issues with temper? People look for your trouble too much. You're working, some people look for your trouble a lot. Now, anytime somebody looks for your trouble, take it to the Lord in prayer. Tell the Lord, this person has looked for my trouble. How should I respond? Give me the interpretation. Should I slap? Hallelujah. Ask the Lord to interpret it for you. Are you with me? Prayer should bring illumination. Now, another way he said to me that they've made it a den of thieves is that even the communication with God, the focus has been turned upside down. Okay? So, when you hear today a house of prayer, when you hear that there's a prayer house there, can somebody tell me the things they do there? They see vision for you. Right? They see who has tied your womb. They see who has, I mean, maybe your hair. They see who has Tied your hair so that it won't grow. <laughs> they see all kinds of enemies for you. And then they make recommendation. Is that your mother-in-law? Did, did she attend your wedding? Why won't your mother-in-law attend your wedding? Did you notice that at your wedding, she didn't finish the meat they gave her? She ate half. She kept half. That half she kept was your destiny. <laughs> eh? You say, go to your village. There's one tree there. That under it, there is buried something. If it is buried, let it remain buried. Isn't it dead things they bury? 
prayer house has become a measure, a means where they, they distract people from focus on God. 99.9% of the things that happen there have no faith in it. They become distributors of fear. If you interact with people who go to those places, what you smell, if you're sensitive in the spirit, if you're discerning, what you discern is fear. Because the only thing they'll tell them will bring fear. Because you know why? Because the devil's power is in the zone of fear. If you're not afraid, the devil has no business with you. That's the simple truth. So what they have converted prayer to is a merchandising affair. They will tell you all kinds of stories, try to create panic, try to just create anxiety. Whereas the principle of scripture is, contra- is completely contrary. What does the Bible say in Philippians 4, 6? It says what? Be what? If I were troublesome, I would make a big banner and put in front of every so-called prayer house. Be anxious for nothing. So as people go in to patronize them, they will really be anxious for nothing. And the reason most people go to those places is why? They're anxious. I don't know. They say it's near success syndrome. Say, pastor, I've said it so much that people don't come to tell me that. Still, don't come and tell me. Still, don't go to prayer house and tell them. Pastor, I realize that when he gets there, the enemy will just, how powerful is this enemy? Listen, if the enemy had a choice in your life, he will kill you before you got born again. The most dangerous thing you are to him is being saved. Do you understand? The only thing darkness is afraid of is what? It's light. It's light. It's not stopping you from, you know, completing the contract. No, that's not the most important thing on his agenda. He just wants to dull your light. That's all. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so he said, but they've made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him for they feared him. Because I'm reading verse 18. All the people were astonished at his teaching. Okay. Now when evening had come, he went out of the city. Twenty. We go to the last segment we're looking at this morning. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the root. And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. But believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Okay? And 25 says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Okay, now what is happening here is this. Our Lord Jesus, being the rabbi, being the master, was teaching a principle. In the first place, the cursing of the fig tree was to illustrate something he had taught them before. Now, before now, our Lord Jesus Christ had told them the parable of the fig tree. Remember the parable of the fig tree where he said a man planted a fig tree and he's been coming and he's not bringing forth anything. Okay? Now, what advice did they give him? They said, permit it for more, one more year. He says, if not, then you can cut it off. Now, this was our Lord Jesus Christ coming to the end of his ministry. And yet the chief leaders of the Jews had not believed in him. So he was demonstrating what will happen if they continue that way. They'll dry up from their roots. Praise the Lord. That was why that miracle had to happen. Because our Lord Jesus never, hardly ever, ever used his power to cause any form of harm or, you know, anything that was negative. The two times his power you know, manifested in such a way was once here and the other one was when he cast out the devil from the demoniac and he entered into the pigs and they went and drowned. And two of them had very powerful, you know, lessons for us to learn. The one of the demons in the pigs was saying that the pig is known as a dirty animal. Praise the Lord. Is there any other thing as dirty as, you know, vile as the pig? I think it's the most... uh, But you know people are keeping pigs as pets now. The lesson there is this. The pig, as dirty as it is, would not tolerate a foul spirit inside of them. They would rather die. Praise the Lord. They would rather die. Now, you are called the righteousness of God. You know, these are things the scripture leaves for us to discern on our own. You and I have been gifted with the righteousness of God. Okay? Now, if I'm the righteousness of God, there are some things I must not tolerate in me. 
not in my neighbor. So pig with demons said, I can't handle it. I would rather die. I would rather be a dead pig than a pig carrying a foul spirit. Now you are born again and we glory in that. Beautiful. I've been given the gift of righteousness and I glory in that. How can I now be carrying iniquity in my heart and be comfortable? Hello? How can I be sharing? The Bible says your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. How can I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me and then I also have the Spirit of masturbation in me, Spirit of lesbianism in me, all of that only in me. And then I lift up my hands, I say I have the gift. If you have the gift, your standard will change. Listen, if, I, if someone blesses you with a new car now and you drive it for six months, the day you enter an old car, you'll be hearing all kinds of noises. Am I right? That's why I used to have problems Tell mechanics, check my car, there is a fault. Because the car is coming from, what you're calling a fault, is cruising. He can't hear the sound. Okay? Praise the Lord, somebody. So, I'm saying this to tell us that Jesus' miracles were illustrative. The pigs taught us sanctification. They were used to demonstrate sanctification. If I'm born again, there are some things that should not be mentioned around me. But the Bible talks about touching the garment, what? Stained with sin. You don't even come near it. Why? Not because I'm trying to be better, but because I've been made better. Praise God. We are married, you know, married couples here. There are some things you don't do. As a Christian, born again Christian, the Bible says husbands do what? Love your wives as Christ did what? Love the church and gave himself for her. He not gave her a slap. I've told you here, sometimes when your wife provokes you, eh, don't do it in front of her, man. Listen to me. Enter the bathroom and just take that slap and just slap yourself. And then come out saying, I've revenged. If I come out laughing, she'll be wondering what happened. She does another one. You go out inside and punch the wall. What would the women do on their own? <laughs> I don't know what they'll do. Mommy, she will tell them what they'll do. Praise the Lord. But what we're talking about here is simple truth. Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. So you're a born-again Christian. Your model is Christ. The one you're to copy is what? Christ. And he says, Lord, and gave himself for her. Somebody says, if you, pastor, the way, the reason you say these things, that's what a man is saying, is that you don't know my wife. I don't know your wife, but I know you. If Jesus can give himself for you, Listen to me. You know, how, how many of us, comparative study, all right? So, let's say you're this good. Praise the Lord. You're as good as the height of this auditorium, which is very high. And your wife is as bad as the floor of this auditorium. Okay? So, it's a challenge. Now, I want to ask you, if you're at this height, where is Jesus? At what level is Jesus? So, Jesus is far above, and he was able to humble himself. To this level to love you. Am I right? How many billions of light years did he humble himself to love you? Then why can't you humble yourself? The men are the only ones hearing. Okay. Women. The Bible says wives do what? Submit to your own husbands. As Sarah submitted to Abraham and called him what? Okay. Hallelujah. Namuku, you're stupid. <laughs> Hey, hallelujah. Ladies, touch your mouth. Just touch your mouth. The Lord will bless your mouth in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know what submission means? Submission means to put everything you are under. You know, there's this issue, you know, this, I mean, we're in the end times, so all kinds of things are going to happen. We have uh, uh, this uh, lovely sister creating a lot of problems for ladies as well. Uh, Chimama Adiche, she's creating a lot of problems. But it should be for those who don't have the spirit of God. You see, for you to be a married woman, you must go according to scripture. Before you marry the man, I think uh, Pastor Jumoke referred to that. Ask yourself, can I submit to this man? Not is he tall and handsome. Praise the Lord. Because it says... Why submit to your own husbands as what? To the Lord, not as to an intelligent man. Sometimes we men can be foolish. We men can behave like babies. Am I right? We men can be inconsiderate. We men cannot, you know, sometimes we don't really understand. You know, women will tell you, I'm telling you this, you don't understand. 
I don't understand, but it says, wife, submit what? To that husband that cannot understand. It's as simple as that. Now, the beautiful thing is that both parties have access to prayer. And what access to prayer does for you is that it goes to the one who is above your husband. Are you with me? So you can submit to that man physically, but in prayer, you report him to Jesus, who is his head. And you find that man doing things that you, your nagging could not bring out. Listen, let me tell you women, I don't know about your husband, but nagging doesn't work for me. It doesn't work because my wife is not built to operate by muscle or by force. She's built to operate by plea. So when you shout and make noise that something should be done, you are activating a negative response. You cannot be heard because you're speaking a language you're not equipped to. Go and learn, I mean, learn that if you want to learn anything from the bad women of the Bible. Learn from Delilah. She didn't say something. I conjure you. Samson, you must tell me the secret of your strength. She was just searching something like this. Bobo, Bobo me, my hero. Samson, there is none like you. Look at, look at your mustache. I like your gorimaba. You know, and the man, you see, women, you don't know the power you have. A man told his secret to somebody whom he knew wanted to kill him. Don't tell me your husband doesn't hear. Is someone hearing me? You know, somebody wrote something. I don't know if you've seen it. Somebody said, if your wife taps you early in the morning and says, we want to talk. The truth is that when you tap a man like that and say you want to talk, you have lost the battle already. Prepare him his best meal because once you say it, his heart skips. And he starts going from the generations before him. What offense did he? And he enters into defensive mode. If you want to get a man to talk, dining table, set fisherman soup, I mean, pounded yam, and the man is just eating, you stand by the side, say, is it, uh, do you want chivita or coke or what do you want? The man says he doesn't want, say, which one do you want? You need a drink. He says, no, I'm just enjoying. Then you can slowly, eh? because they, so, somebody say bitter pills, they normally wrap it with sweet things so that you can take it, Abby. There's a way you can bring up that matter. The man will just agree. You'll be wondering, is this it? It's that. Praise the Lord. It's recorded in the Bible for us. Even Esther used it. I don't know who taught Esther. I think it was her fasting that taught her. She didn't run into uh, Ascension. I said, they want to kill us. They want to kill us. That's what, what most women would do. But she put on her best robe. Took time to prepare the man's best dinner. Not once, but twice. And when she made her request, it was automatic yes. May the Lord give us wisdom. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Yes. Um, have faith in God. So with, with the little time we have here, I, I want to address, you know, the issue of faith. You know, that was actually what I, I had my meditation to before I realized this was triumphant Sunday and knew that we had to give a bit of attention to it. You see, our Lord Jesus did not do miracles just for doing sake. Everything he did was intentional. He wanted people to have faith in God. And that's why when this happened, he said to them, have faith in God. And he went on to break some things down for them. Why is that important? It's because you and I are creatures of faith. Praise the Lord. We are creatures of faith. In other words, you are created to operate by faith. Even the man who says, no, 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 I, I, I don't believe in that faith thing. Is simply saying, I don't believe in that kind of faith. Everyone operates by faith. And that's why Lord Jesus was careful here. He didn't say have faith. Like some people say, just have faith, just have faith. No. He said have what? Faith in God. Why? If you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we, we see something happening there. God said, and the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. 17. says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For what? In the day that you eat of it, what will happen? You shall surely die. Full stop. Okay. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's read 2 to 6. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4 says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will 
your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate. Now, I want to ask a question here. Before Eve ate this fruit, has she tasted it? Holy Spirit, help me. You see, God created you and I to live in our judgments or in our interpretations. Your reality is not so much the things you see. Your reality is what you judge of the things you see and hear. When God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. The day you eat it, what will happen? You die. If Adam, I believe maybe Adam did. When Adam saw that tree or the fruit of that tree, you know what he should have immediately seen? He should have seen death. Okay. But the serpent came now to the wife, not to Adam, who did not fully have faith in God at that time and turned the picture of what that fruit represented from bringing death to bringing wisdom. So at a point, Eve stood in between, does this fruit bring death or does this fruit bring what? Wisdom. Now, because we are creatures of faith and we are made in the image and likeness of God, at this point, God can constrain Eve to believe him. And then the devil also will only be wooing Eve. He also can force Eve. Now, what will happen here is this. If Eve determines to place her trust in, the, in what the devil said, then she will go in this direction. But if she determines to place her trust in what the Lord said, she will also do what? Lean in this direction. Every human being at every point in time is not living in so-called reality. You're living in your judgment of who you trust. Is someone following me? Because what happened at the garden was this. Eve said, God, you have told a lie. Serpent, you have told me the truth. I will go with you. Why? Because before then, there was nobody who had eaten the fruit of the tree and become wise. At the same time, there was nobody who had eaten it and died. Is someone following what I'm saying here? There was nobody. So, she was left to make a decision. And that is what faith is. Faith is making decisions in the reality of who is your God. That's why the Bible says, the just shall live by his faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul shall not have pleasure. The just shall live by complete trust in God. So Jesus here was saying to the disciples, the way you're going to walk in this thing and walk in it beneficially is that you must put your trust in God. And what that means also automatically is that if I put my trust in God, then automatically I disregard whatever is not from him. Praise the Lord, somebody. The Bible says, Hebrews 11, 11, talking about Sarah. It, it gives us the word. It says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. What happened? Did her body all of a sudden start looking like that of a 16-year-old? Or a 25-year-old? Or a 30-year-old? No. Her body was looking exactly as that of a 90-year-old woman. In fact, the Bible said it was as good as dead. But she judged. Let me say that word, judged. Every human being is a judge. You make judgments every day. That is what faith is. Faith is in whose word, on whose standard, in whose direction am I judging? That's why the Bible left faith, did not leave faith without deep explanation. And that's the challenge we have in our time, where people pick faith and suspend it with 5% of what was written concerning it. What our Lord Jesus Christ said about faith here is the tip of the iceberg. Because so much is said about faith. Did your Bible say in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing? I'm asking a question. Is that what it said? Can you put it on the screen? And it says, hearing by what? The word of God. So why does faith have to come by hearing? And why is hearing by the word of God? Why? Because faith is in God. And we have said that God and his word are what? The same. The more of God you know, the more faith you are operating automatically. But somebody can be louder without knowing God. That's the challenge we have. You see, 
Faith is not the noise I make. Praise God. I, I don't know what, whether I was in, in a movie. You know, in this movie, somebody wanted to fight another person and came out, you know, Kung Fu. Before you fight, you have to go back to history and decide whether it's monkey style or mosquito style you want to do. So this person wanted to fight another person and came out and finished his charging and all that he did. The other person just brought out the gun and shot him. That's, you see, faith doesn't need all of that. Do you understand? What, the man with the gun had some person put lead in what is called bullet eh? and constructed a gun that will fire it. He had it. He had gun. The other one was conjuring mosquito monkey style, drunken style, you know, crocodile style. When he finished all the stars, the one with faith shot him. You see, when you have faith, it says it will be, a, it brings stability to you. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of, when you have understanding of the word of God, it brings a stability. John 15 verse 7, please. Praise God. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, what will happen? You will ask what you, you will ask what? Which one comes first? Is it what you desire or the abiding? Are you sure? Now, if you take that and bring it back to our text, where verse 23 of our text in, in Mark 11 says, For surely I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, many times we've learned that scripture, and people leave church, and some people, even before they leave church, they go and lay hands on somebody's car and say, I claim this car in the name of Jesus. I claim this car in the name of Jesus. And by faith, as they're going, as they're entering Keke, they say, I've claimed that car. I, I possess it. I claim it. I possess it. And they go like that. And another person says, this is my neighbor that is disturbing me. Fall down and die in the name of Jesus. So they're holding all of that unto you shall have whatever you say. You didn't visit a native doctor. You see, native doctors have no will. They just have wickedness. So whatever request you make of them, according to the ability of their wickedness, you can get it. But when you go to God, God has a will. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what we're told in this Mark 11 now, John 15 is telling us another dimension of it. So this mountain they are talking about has to be the mountain that when you are abiding in God, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So this mountain they are talking about from Mark 11 is talking about the mountain that you would have discovered is a mountain to you in the process of your abiding in him and his words abiding in you then your desire is being fueled by what? A revelation of God's word and purpose for you. So the mountain they're talking about is a mountain that is standing as an obstacle between you and God's purpose. And then you ask for it. It shall be done. Praise the Lord. So people of God, when we see faith, God is just trying to tell us, I'm in control of this world. However, you, you, I can't still force you. I can't still, you know, compel you to be on my side. But the more you get to know me, the more you will intelligently, willingly choose my side. Believe me. Expect me. You know, wait for me. Praise the Lord. That's what it is. Let's look at First uh, John 5, 14 and 15. Let, let's also see, see what they, they tell us there about faith. Let's read it. I'd like everyone to read this together now. They say, now, this is the confidence that we have that if we ask according to what? Hold on. The other part says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. And be. Are you seeing that this mountain is being defined now by what is what? According to his will. And now truly, somebody might feel, but that is a bit limiting. But you see, how can he be limiting when he's omniscient? That means he knows the mountain you should move. How can he be limiting when he's omnipotent? What means is that he, know, he can bring the conclusion, however, is someone getting in now? So he says, this is the confidence that we have in that if we ask anything according to his will, what happens? He hears us. This is what faith tells me. When I pray according to his will, I can get up from the place of prayer and know he has heard me. Verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, what happens? 
It says, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This was what Hannah demonstrated when she went into the temple. The high priest was, you know, having his issues with God. But something said to her, God has heard you. She got up, washed her eyes and went. And God who heard her confirmed. May God confirm your prayers in Jesus' name. Brethren, what we are saying today is this. In this week of the Passion, you should, you must renew your faith. And it's not the faith that is transactional. It is the faith that is foundational. That I judge every day based on what God has said, will I believe in him? Bringing it home now, for those of us that are here and for those who are online. The son of God came into this world. When you became a Christian, you confess that Jesus Christ is who? The son of God. That he came into the world to die for sinners. This week begins the journey of his death. Okay? Do you believe that? That's what faith is. You see? So I look around me. And for some reason, you know, I don't seem to find, unquote, the evidences of, you know, the goodness, unquote, the goodness of God in my life. And the enemy now begins to whisper to me, God has abandoned you. God has not heard you. God is not loving you. Now, when he brings those words to me, I can look more in my circumstance or in my situation and begin to find reason with him. But if I have faith in God, I will immediately leave the devil in that sitting room or that bedroom or in that situation and go back to what happened. And I realize that Jesus, the son of God, or rather the father, sent his only begotten son into the world to die for me. Praise the Lord, somebody. Do you believe that? So Jesus died for me and he now can bring fuel to me. Are you getting it now? Jesus died for me and he now can't open a door for me. Can you see how stupid the lie of the devil is becoming? Jesus died for me and then he just wants me sad. You know, when we talk about submitting to God's will, we are talking about entering into joy, not happiness. It might not bring you happiness, but it will bring joy. Let me tell you what happiness is. Happiness is at the moment. How many of us have been happy in moments, but been sad about those moments after? But joy is deposited. When you have joy, it cannot be taken away from you. Joy is as a result of you look back and you know that that thing that happened worked for your good and it is established in your favor. That is joy. So the Christian works in joy. That's why the Bible says the kingdom is what? Righteousness, peace, and happiness. No. A lot of people, when they were being poisoned, were drinking the drink and they were happy. But joy talks about a continuing. That's you look back at the moment. Talking about we being creatures of faith is this. We live life forward. But you see, we appreciate and understand things backwards. So many of the things that are happening now, you really don't understand them. But five days from now, you say, okay, that's why that happened. That's why we must put faith in God. Why? Because only God is Alpha and what? Omega. Only God has tomorrow today. Only God has your book. The Bible says in the volume of your book, it is written what? The days concerning me. So God can see your next tomorrow. So if he says sit down today, it's because there's a journey you're going to make. See why? I remember your experience just talking about this journey. Remember the uh, trip you were supposed to make in the office to Lagos or so that they blocked you and made you qualify for the one in Malaysia. You see how it works? As simple as God loves you. Praise the Lord. God demonstrated his love for you. 2,000 years ago, this week that we're entering. So what I want to encourage you is to renew your faith. Challenge your faith. Ask yourself, do I believe these things? Am I judging my circumstances in reference to these events? Part of the things that brought it, that were aids to my Christian journey was when I saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ. How many of us have seen that movie? I want to encourage you this period. Also, you need to see it. I've told us here in my estate, we have a lot of Muslims. There's a mosque there. So this morning about um, five something, you know, sorry, four something in the morning, I heard them making that cry. And I was just pitying them. Because the person that are crying to can't answer them. The person that are calling does not know the way. Praise the Lord. He hasn't been there. But for you and I, Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth and what? He's the life. He's not just, he just doesn't know the way. He came from heaven. 
I like that song that says he came from heaven to earth to do to show the and not just that he came, he has come back and he's coming again. So he knows the current state of the road. Do you understand? He's preparing a place. When he's done, we're going to hear his shout. He said, I'm ready. Come up. That is the faith we belong to. Child of God, we can't afford to have our heads bowed down. We are believers. We are people of faith in God. Now, this faith is going to translate into immediate things like a job, like a contract, like our healing and all of that. But you anchor it on what is beyond. That's what makes your faith unmovable, unshakable. Because the word of God, you know, you read the scriptures, you see, ah, this word is so reliable. It's so true. It has countered and canceled circumstances. Please put Romans 4 for us. Let's see what he said about um, Abraham. Romans 4 from 17. He says, as it is written, I've made you what? A father of many nations in the presence of him who, whom he believed, God, who gives life to who? The dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Praise the Lord. And he says, who contrary to hope, in hope believes so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was already, he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, what? Giving glory to God. 21 says, I'm being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also what able to perform. Now, now let, let me tell you something about the scriptures and Abraham. You see, what, what we have in Abraham, that's why he's the father of our faith. Praise the Lord. What we have in Abraham is that Abraham is the one that they used to write our textbook. You and I now, when I'm having faith for someone here trusting God for the fruit of the womb, you have Sarah. Praise the Lord. You have the testimony of Sarah and Abraham. It's behind you. Are you with me? Now, Sarah and Abraham, what did they have? They had nothing. When Abraham offered his only son Isaac, what did he have? He had nothing. God just said, take your only son whom you love and what? Go and offer to him on a mountain, I'll show you. And he went and offered. He had nothing. What had God done for Abraham to make him give? He gave him a son so I should kill him. Is that enough? But you and I now can look back and see that what is it that God can ask from me that he has not already given me? Is someone getting what I'm talking about? What is it that God has promised me that he has not already done in time past? Praise the Lord. Are we talking about lifting, promotion? How can a Christian be afraid of promotion? When God, how many of us are, you know, are Ghanaians here? Any Ghanaian, any, anybody from Eritrea here? So you're all citizens, you're not slaves. God took a slave boy, Joseph, introduced him into Egypt as a slave and finished with him as a prime minister. How can you be afraid of what God can make of you? Is somebody understanding what we're talking about? Why do you judge it? Don't judge in favor of the devil again. That's all I want to say to you. Faith is judging in favor of God. Simple. Remember Eve, how Eve looked at the tree. God said, this tree kills. Eve looked at Satan. Satan said, this tree will give you life. God said, this tree will kill you. Eve sided with Satan. It's as simple as that. Faith is judgment. He said to tell you, we are creatures of faith every day. In fact, even in your relationship with human beings, do you know that people rarely surprise you? If you have confidence in someone, not the confidence that should go to God, but confidence that somebody will turn out good. You know, almost invariably, that person turns out good. Those of us that have had issues in our relationship or with our children, have faith in God that God can turn that person around. Because if you're not careful... Ah, you will be playing according to the devil's script. The devil just wants you to listen to him. That is about words. That's why I say faith comes by what? Hear it. Now, whereas the word of God, he say, I can do all things. Do you understand? Even in your life, do you have faith in God? Some people look at them and say, say, this one, I cannot. Who gives you the permission to make that judgment? Is that the word of God concerning you? Is that what you're hearing? Praise the Lord from God. You may be hearing it, but not from God. Why are you judging in that direction? So the doctor says, this is what it is. It's all right. The doctor has said, what is God saying? Faith is judgment. Can I hear you say faith is judgment? And you sit as the chief judge of the affairs. 
Now, the God we are talking about has history. So, we've read the triumphal entry. We saw how prophecy was fulfilled. They said to Jesus, prove to us that you are the son of God. He said, I'm not going to give you any proof except that you destroy this temple and on the third day, what will happen? I'll raise it up. Did that happen? So, why should I take the word of Christ and begin to weigh it against the word of somebody who went to school for 18 years? I respect doctors. Why should I take the word of Christ and begin to be afraid because this is what the trend is saying. Let's rise on our faith. Have faith in God. That's the message I bring to you. In this week of the passion, have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. Judge in favor of God. Shut your ears. Don't process what the enemy is saying. Don't believe in the devil. Don't believe his words. Don't believe his, his predictions. He's a predictor. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. Don't believe his word. He sells fear. He tells you this situation. You will never come out of it. But God says, what is that? He says, I restore the years that the cankerworm has eaten. He says, I'm God. I kill and I make alive. I'm the resurrection and the life. Don't believe the devil. There's a God to believe. There's a dependable God to believe. There's a faithful God to believe. Who has never failed from generation. You know, listen brethren. You know, you're a Christian today. Do you know the effort that men have made to stamp out Christianity? We have the Bible on our phones now. Do you know in recent times, the effort that was made to make sure the Bible doesn't. But Jesus said 2,000 years ago, I will build my even if you bring bulldozer, it can't kill that word. If the bulldozer finishes passing, the word will jump up again. Because the word of Christ will surely come to pass. I want you to just talk to the Lord. And just tell him, in this week, I want to renew my faith. I want to renew my confidence. I want to renew my relationship. I want to be a person of faith. I want to be a child of God that walks in faith. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-158404. You can find us online at www www.thefatherschurchonline.org God bless you.